episode five of the broadband podcast are you listening the broadband podcast this is gregory james i'm brody benson we are here in episode five to give you a little rundown this episode we have a bit of housekeeping we're going to make our big tournament announcement we're going to uh clear up a couple issues i'm going to talk about ip with the fantastic brody benson we've been <laughs> kicking around uh, some amazing discussions about the the intellectual property surrounding uh, both Netrunner and the Android universe. So we want to share that discussion with you because we've really been enjoying talking about it and uh, seeing what also is online. And that's going to be the majority of the episode. So uh, we have also, in, in accordance with our format, we've got a book. Uh, we're going to have a current event that we're going to talk a little update on the Crypto Locker situation because. You know, Gabriel Santiago is still all up in your... He's grabbing your HQ. Yo, he is... The Crypto Locker is beast. So if you haven't heard about this, check that out. And then lastly, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A. We're going to talk about agenda, density, distribution. Stay with us. Broadband, podcasting, all up in your area. All right. So uh, before we get into the meat of our discussion... Uh, I wanted to just kind of make this official announcement. We're leaking it here mm-hmm. on on our podcast because we get to do that. Yep. Um, you've probably seen me on Board Game Geek and on the different Netrunner groups on Facebook uh, pumping this out. But the Central Server Tournament here in KC is going to be off the chain. We've got a whole bunch of prizes. Um and uh, we've really been looking forward to it. So if you go to broadbandpodcast.net and check out our site, uh, I've built in some some pretty cool features there, pulling in um, social posts from across the web, from Twitter, from YouTube. We've got some videos up there um, and just some great stuff. Uh, I've got the event sign-up page on there. So we want to invite everybody to uh, come out to Casey. Um, and take part in this store championship. Um, it should be top players in the field should be there. We're going to have some really, really intense competition. And we've got a lot of people that just love to help other players. So if you're a new player and you want to get into it, you've been um, taking a look at this game and checking it out online, or you're, you know, you're a mid-level player and you really want to up your game, there's just going to be just fantastic resources there. Our meta and even the KC meta in general just is really... Um, Really good guys and really yeah. caring. I yeah, I've been really impressed with our with our community that we've got going on at tabletop. Just in the KC group in general. I mean, you get some of that on uh, discussions on uh, other forums, of course. But you know, we had that uh, just our little little tournament amongst ourselves. Announced the game night kit stuff that Fantasy Flight puts out, and then yeah. three people completely new to the game show up. You know, like they played one or two matches. A couple of those guys, some of those guys didn't even have any cards, right? They just borrowed decks. I know. And we were just happy to accommodate. Sure, yeah. here you go. I got a spare deck. Here you go. Absolutely. Yeah, so don't, you know, if you're if you're new to the game. And they were so good. They like, d- I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, uh, yeah, I may not want to play you anymore. Uh, but yeah, yeah, if you're if you're new to the game, um, don't let that scare you away from coming by. We have a, we have a pretty good community here in Kansas City. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I wanted to say that, like, um, and the big announcement is Lucas Leitzinger is going to be doing the guest Q and A. I've been leaking, you know. I've been kind of um, saying, them, huh? I've been hinting. Cats out of the bag. Well, yeah. I'm just going to tell him because I've been hinting that uh, we're having a special guest Q and A. 
session. And so um, I just wanted to put that out there. If you're there, you're going to see it. You know, you're going to be able to submit questions. It's We're going to have, nuts. it's going to be crazy. So I'm, I'm super excited. We're going to talk so. about lunar cycle. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different, you know, rulings and, so we're asking people to submit questions. You know, we're gonna have it there on the day. Yeah, of. we we're should, we should reiterate that. We should make sure people when they when they're signing up or whatever that they submit some questions. We'll have to get that. Oh yeah, it's gonna yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have that in the uh, uh, in the event page sign up. But um, so you're gonna have a chance to submit questions and you, we're your questions. Yeah. You know, and if our listeners have some really good questions, we'll put that in the mix as well. You Absolutely. Know, like guys, if you want email to, in. Please email us, you know. Um, there's a question that you feel needs to be asked. Yeah, on the site, on the sign-up page, there's there's a link to be able to contact us. You know, it says my address, but you, if you have questions for Brody, you can totally email Brody. No one has questions for me. Everyone <laughs> has questions for you. I just... I am the showrunner. I am the facilitator, and you are my resident expert. So that I have no illusions. I am the fluffy about. white cat that you pet, and your job is an evil overlord. That's all. Listen, I <laughs> am the least Blofeld of all <laughs> of all the villains. So, um, so anyway, so I wanted to just announce that. Yeah, big news. Just to reiterate, you know, Central Server March first, two thousand fourteen. We're gonna. We are going to run these nets. Yes. Trust me, we're going to run nets. Super and uh, it's going to be, yeah, a ton of oh, prizes. Man. I got a great guy, uh, Michael Michael Smajewski, also known as Smajewski, um, but I pronounced his name wrong. And uh, he's made some shirts, so he's get, we're going to have, you know, uh, some shirts. We've got prize packs. We've got store championship. You know, it's just going to be a really good time. Nuts. And uh, And on big. top of that, Lucas Lightsinger I know. is going to be all up in my Citrix <laughs> go-to meeting, you know. So it's going to be great. And then, um, and then just um, I last podcast I mistakenly credited DB Zero uh, divide by zero by, with creating like Octagon, which I'm totally misspoke. I know that he didn't make Octagon. I misspoke. I was referring to um, the plugin and the kind of contribution that he has made to to Octagon. And uh, I certainly have been mistaken and misspoke about a bunch of stuff. And so I just want to own that. I, I really take pains to make sure that I'm uh, clear and accountable about the things that I say. And so uh, if I've been mistaken or misspoke about stuff, I want to just say that. And that leads us into our larger discussion about the IP or the intellectual property um, that Netrunner occupies. Yeah. Um, so what I was discussing in that last one when I was talking about DB0 was that, you know, Octagon is not an FFG product and it's, um, you know, it's a framework and it's a, it's a, um, it's a, uh, you know, a format, it's a digital format for people to play different card games yeah, online. Yeah. There's, you, there's plugins for more than just Netrunner, right? I'm not actually super familiar with all the different games on there, but... Uh, my understanding is that a lot of the Fantasy Flight LCGs have representation there, right? Like, you can play Game of Thrones through Octagon and whatever game. Yeah, and I know, yeah, there's, I know that there's a variety of games that are on there. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the the ratio of of all the games that are LCG to CCG that are on there. Um, but my point was... In Justin saying that there is, this is obviously a hot commodity, and that a digital strategy is 
certainly in the works at FFG. Team Covenant did a fantastic job of interviewing um, FFG's owner, uh, Christian, and uh, we loved that interview. That was a fantastic. If you guys haven't seen that, then go to Team Covenant's website. Uh, don't don't leave our website. Just open a new, <laughs> open a new tab <laughs> and uh, go to go to uh, Team Covenant. They've got great stuff. And you know, part of what we're going to do with broadband and on our website is to pull in all the best content and all the great posts from all over the web. So. You know, we're going to have, I have links to articles on ice concentrations. I have, you know, YouTube video. I have great stuff on there. So go and check out the, uh, that feed, the We Run Nets feed. But um, what we wanted to get dig into is a discussion on, on IP and uh, just talk about a little bit about what FFG is doing with ANR. All right, so uh, the ANR property or Android Netrunner is obviously, as most people here know, the LCG is a card game of it, and that there's a board game, and there's also uh, a table, a smaller tabletop game called Infiltration. So I think most of our listeners know that. Yeah, in case if, you don't, there's the recap. Yeah, in case you don't, you know, the Android world overall universe, yeah. has, yeah, the Android universe has those three iterations currently. And Fantasy Flight has a whole bunch of other, you know, universes that they do. It's the, yeah. what the fantasy one So is yeah, the, they got they got Terranoth, Terranoth, which is what they do for their, there's a bunch of games, the fantasy games they have it in common. There's like Descent has, and Rune Wars and Runebound there. Descent's a dungeon crawler, and Runebound is like this overworld type of thing, and I don't even know what Rune Wars is, but I do know that they Rune all... Wars is a, is a deck building, a deck building right. game. It's a deck yeah, building yeah. game. I just started to play it with uh, my buddy Carl, who will probably be on the next one as the beginner yeah. Q&A. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he's got it, and he loves it. And I think, actually, I think the Battle or 2nd Edition is tearing off, too. But, yeah, it's just their, it's their fantasy property that they kind of tie everything in the way that... Uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons has has everything set in that whatever the name of the universe is or fourth ed now. I forget. So yeah. Norath. Well, yeah, Norath. I was just saying champions of Norath. So the idea is Android is one universe, Turnoff is another. Uh, you know, the the uh, the Eldritch Horror, the uh yeah, you know, the Cthulhu Arkham, stuff. Yeah, the Cthulhu stuff is its own yeah. universe. But we're gonna ex- and Star Wars. We're gonna sit here and talk for the next fifteen, twenty minutes about <laughs> Android Netrunner, because the IP, the intellectual property, when I first interviewed Lucas, one of the things that he said was he talked about the origin of the IP. One of that is the CCG, the original game, but the other that he was also really referencing is the board game. Yeah. And that is a critical distinction. Yeah, it's is to say we took the CCG, made the board game, and we have our own, that Android DNA we fused yeah. into this game and it slotted into the LCG format for the card game really well. Like yeah. it's developed, it's, it is an altered beast and man, it is a, it is a beast because the popularity is taken off. But what we want to talk about is two things is the possible digital iterations yeah. because a digital strategy is necessary at this point. And then also just to talk a little bit about the Android universe as a whole. Yeah. And I almost want to start talking about the Android universe as a whole because I suspect the digital version will be the lion's share of the discussion. And we're talking about their other properties right now. So it seems germane to the topic at hand. What do you think? What I think is important to know is like, you know, our focus, uh, this podcast is about Netrunner's past, 
you know, it's cyberpunk literature, past, like what it arose from, those concepts, it's present, like what's going on in the game, in the meta right now, and then it's future, like where is it headed? And if we're gonna talk about where it's headed, what they're gonna do with their IP, you know, it's important to say like, I have to give credit to the incredibly brilliant amalgam of taking, you know, the original Netrunner CCG, how it was extricated from the Shadowrun IP, how it was slotted into their current like Android IP and making it an LCG. Like all of those things came together. They licensed this it was property, the perfect storm. melded it with their current IP and then put it in a format that they invented. Yeah. That's serious. It's like, monumental. That is a, you know, and I'm like, listen, I understand right now I sound like a massive fanboy, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like looking at it objectively, they just melded two different IP properties into a format that they created. Like that's actually really impressive. Yeah. And, you know, having talked with Lucas to some degree at, at certain points, you know, honestly, you know, I'm not presenting it like we're buddies, but... You know, having having this conversation with him, like, he knows, like, he has spoken about it. Like, he's very fortunate. Like, it's an incredible opportunity, and he works really hard to maximize it and to leverage this incredible thing that's been put out there. And that's why there's so much heat on where it's going. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the, the reason I think that we're going to see more board games and maybe even a tabletop role-playing game is because they're they're continually expanding the boundaries of the IP through the LCG. When the board game came out, it was just Jinteki. That was it. it it's it's these this cast of characters, which includes Raymond Flint, I think. Some of these characters are from straight out of the board game. Yeah. Um, but it was like Jinteki, and I think Caprice Nisei is one of the characters in there yes. too. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, in the Tom books, Thomas Haas is a suspect. Yeah, hey, listen, the books. If you are an author, Mel Odom, or any of these other guys, if you're listening to this podcast, I want to interview you. Mel, I've already emailed you, as a matter of fact. So I'm just going <laughs> to call you out on the podcast. <laughs> like, if you know any of the authors of these books or or books that you feel like are related. Please contact us, email us, Gregory James at Overheard Media Group or Brody at OverheardMediaGroup.com. We would love to interview you guys and, and go and talk a little bit about the IP and, and yeah. what you see going on. So anyway, back to what you were saying. I just got to put Oh, that in yeah, there. I just, they're really, they're expanding its boundaries in a lot of ways. I mean, um, uh, I'm, I don't know how many references there were to the Wayland Consortium in the board game, but my, what I can tell is not, not all that many. And so there's that. Um, this lunar cycle is expanding what we know about what's going on in the moon. I Dude, fully... this is the lunar cycle. Is I know, crazy. I know, absolutely crazy. Uh, I fully expect that there will be some time devoted uh, to stuff further out, you know, in the system, like out out by Mars. So, or maybe not. Who knows? But you know, there's they continually expand. The Milan is mining. Yeah, well, on, right. Oh, that's on the moon, isn't it? He three is mined in the moon. I thought. I'm not, you know what, I'm not sure, but, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the Blade Runner. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, he was a renegade. Yes. But uh, anyway, so, you know, there are, there are things that are being um, introduced into the IP through the LCG. Uh, like, a lot of these locations from the Lunar Cycle aren't in the board game. There's, like, the, the, the Jinteki grid that we don't know the full name of, or they mentioned Midway Station grid as part of the Beanstalk's you know, this whole cycle is going to expand upon the beanstalk. There's the root. There's a key. There's a card, a unique asset about the root of the beanstalk, and it's a whaling one. And then there's Midway Station, which the fiction in the board game tells us is halfway up the beanstalk. You you know, that's it's a 
it's like a um, the resort kind of thing where you, people stop and there's like shopping, whatever else. Um, Midway Station's there. There's going to be stuff at the far end. There's Angel Arena, which I don't even know anything about except that, you know, they're introducing all of these places um, in, the, in the Beanstalk and on the moon. Um, I, I, you know, they, why would they... What if they introduce a new zero-G sport and that's what Angel Arena is? And, and that's what I'm saying. And, and what if they make that its own a game? game? Oh my god! Yeah. We just did it, dude. We, yeah. High five. Awesome. I'm yes. buying that game. Screw Blood Bowl. We're gonna have yeah. zero-G. <laughs> We're gonna have Angel Bowl. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying there's, there's all these directions that this could take. You know, or even a tabletop role-playing game that's more focused on, um, you know, you could have the option for a Bioroid character and try to, you know... Or a clone like Caprice Nisei, who's struggling to figure out, you know, it, the, you have these characters who, they, they come basically with baggage attached, right? That whole question of what does it mean to be human? Am I, you know, I'm a, I'm a bioroid. Am I just a tool? Or do I, is there something more to me, you know? Am I, I was created for a job. Brody, I, Brody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm not going to say it. Go ahead, I know. Go ahead. But, you know, it, there's that sense of they were created for a purpose to do a thing. Yeah. Does that purpose define them or is there room for them to define themselves outside of it? And it's, you know, with clones and with bioroids who are created through a brain taping process, there are these vestigial personality remnants that, you know, they don't, re they can't, don't eliminate, can't eliminate, or in a lot of cases they shouldn't eliminate because it helps them fulfill their function, right? Like if you have a bioroid who's, who's supposed to be like, um, like a nanny, you, wouldn't, you would want to pick somebody who's got maternal instincts as part of a personality for the brain taping thing. You wouldn't want to get rid of those. That, that helps them do their job that they're paid to do. But then does that define them or is there room for them as you know what i'm saying it's just that that's a great you could have this this excellent tabletop role-playing game there's a lot of modern game design that focuses on that kind of character driven it's less about hey we're gonna play shadow run this is cyberpunk is gearing up with a lot of hardware wetware and software and taking out corporation corporate targets or whatever else i mean that's that's certainly what a lot of people think of when they think of you know shadow run or cp 2020 or whatever but there are uh, a lot of games that can focus on that kind of character-driven stuff, and I would love to see, because that's the noir aspect of it. So I would love to see that in a cyber-noir game, you know? Yeah, and currently they have, you know, they're doing a fantastic job of, of uh, occupying the intellectual property and expanding its boundaries through, the, through, the, through Netrunner, through the LCG. Um, but we haven't seen, other than the books, we haven't seen the IP's boundaries get put. What, what I see being the frontier here is, as I said earlier, is being the digital iteration of this. I mean, Magic has an app that has done really well for them. Yeah, they um, got two. In, Not only do they have Magic Online, but they also have Duels of the Planeswalkers. Yeah, the Planeswalkers which is, deal. Yeah. Which is like Magic Online Lite, yeah. where it's not the full thing, but it's a... Well, that's what I was thinking of more. Yeah. Is that, honestly, is the, is the Duel of the Planeswalker, because that's, it's more like an app. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot lighter, and I, I don't Cleaner play in Magic anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, today, I was at a game store here in KC, and uh, I saw the card uh, w uh, Wheel of Fortune. I haven't seen that card in like 15 years, man. <laughs> easy, easy, like 15, 20 years, man. Blew my mind. I was like, Wheel of Fortune? Is that still a thing? Um, and so anyway, uh, so, the, uh, so the game um, could be, you know, a, uh, a client-side JavaScript browser-based game. 
uh, you know, there's a couple of different ways that they could do it. Could be know? on the app store. Could be on the, it could be, yeah, it could be just apps in, in Android and Android. iOS. Oh, Android yeah. uh, uh. So, I mean, they could do it like that. There's a couple of different ways that they could frame it out. Oh, man. It just occurred to me if that would cause confusion and problems with people trying to search for Android stuff on the Android marketplace. You know what I mean? Like, if that would actually be, like, an inconvenient thing for FFG. Yeah. You, I no, wonder. I mean, it's possible that Google could exert some sort of influence in it. Yeah. Maybe. Well, we've trademarked the Android brand. <laughs> kind of deal. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, FFG has enough. I mean, they have trademarked Android yeah, the As universe. A, yeah, the board you game. Know, so yeah, I mean, it's it, there's certainly some crossover there because Google is doing yeah. what they're talking, what FFG is talking about. Like yeah. Google is actually doing, you know, when they bought the the Boston Dynamics, the crazy robots, and DeepMind, and all the moves that Google has made. If you guys, you know, I encourage you to go look this up. If, you know, they, Google acquired some serious AI. The, you know, on a lighter note, they acquired Nest, so they have thermostats, but. Um, they also acquired, uh, you know, Boston Dynamics that makes crazy, scary DARPA robots, yeah. you know, and... I've seen some of those. Some of those are crazy. And when they amalgamate them, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be nuts. So, in any case, uh, we're going to pray, in the meantime, we're going to take a break and pray that Google doesn't turn into Skynet, but, <laughs> um, but that, but if they make an online thing, we are all ears, you know, if they go online, what for format that they're going to do that? So we're going to talk about a little bit about what what some ways they could do that. All right, so struggling through that morass and melange of different topics, ranging from um, why we're excited about where the you know Android IP is going. Pure fanboy moment. Yeah. No, I mean, there's just so much there to to kind of. Geek out about. I say this with this. You, see, you can see they can't see. They can't see the grin on my face, but you can see my grin at the fan. Memo. We of course we're geeking out of it. We wouldn't. We're two guys that elect to use our spare time to record ourselves talking about this thing. We are. We, yeah. There is no question about whether or not we're fanboys at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so yeah so the so, uh, like I said earlier, um, if you're interested in what you know possibly could happen. Um, I would, the two things that I would encourage you to look at, if you're interested in looking at what the, what could happen with the IP, we have the books, we have, you know, this interview that Team Covenant did with Christian, um, Christian Peterson, um, who owns Fantasy Flight Games, and, uh, they touched upon a couple of points in there, um, No, I haven't seen that interview. Where they're looking at it. Um, you know, it, it's more of a general kind of interview. It's well, sure, really he's good. Not give anything out, out. Well, yeah, and they're you know, and and Zach is um so good. Zach and Robert are so good about um. Fat shout out to Zach and Robert, um, about uh you know really um, absorbing all that Christian had to give. You know what I mean? Like I felt yeah. like that interview they did really well at kind of saying like, hey, we're so honored to be here. This is so awesome. We really enjoy this. And then allowing Christian to tell his story and to to share what he had to to give because clearly he wanted to share and so they did a great job of allowing him to to share what was on his heart and that was that was great to see. Um, and Zach did warn him like you know I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Um, so that was, that was fun too um, to see Zach kind of throw that you know 
Yeah. I'm not gonna. These are not I'm gonna not be all softballs. Yeah. yeah, these are not all softballs. But um, in any case, um, what I would what I would love to see is more insight as to what the what the digital strategy is gonna be like. Are they gonna do something like what Magic did in those two different iterations of kind of the in depth one and then the app one? Are you know what what are they gonna do? Because like I said earlier, they could do you know a browser based one. They could do it as a subscription service. They could do it as a subscription service that uh, marries together kind of proof of purchase from the packs. Do we know whether the packs are currently yeah, compatible we with I that? I don't know if that's a thing. If, if you could just, if maybe you, your proof of purchase and my proof of purchase all the same number printed on them. I Even if they are still I unique, do, I don't know. Even I don't if, I don't, I'm not sure we could... I don't know if I have a pack laying around. I here, could but... see them doing a system whereby you mail in your proof of purchase to them physically, and then in exchange they'll give you. It's clunky. It's clunky. It reminds that me would of cereal the... in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. It's like, am I going to get a decoder here. ring? Kids, right they now? used to do this thing where. <laughs> yeah, where you would mail in box tops. Yeah, and yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, if they were dead set on on correlating uh, physical box ownership, you know, you could either a buy it buy online buy a subscription to the cards or whatever or b you could you could redeem a proof of purchase um I, I mean i could see that it's clunky i totally admit it but if they were dead set on a on a correlation one-to-one between you know because people have said online why don't they just release the core set for free and and i mean there's there's a logic to that but there's, I don't know if there's a strong business case for releasing a lot of stuff for free. And no matter what, at the end of the day, there's always going to be somebody who's like, hey, I already bought these cards. Like, even if they release all the core set cards online, hey, I already bought Genesis Cycle. I'm not going to rebuy it. I'm not interested in this. You know, they want to, of course, I'm sure they want to capture the most of the online segment that they can while squaring with people who've already bought cards, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, I have my own theories as to what, you know, the most likely scenario is, um, I don't, I don't know that it, so the possible iterations is, is, you know, a subscription service or, uh, you know, matching physical to like a digital version, a digital download, um, base service. You can marry those two together. You could create just your own app and charge from there. You could you could meld the three of them together. There's a lot of different iterations that they could do. The thing, the point that I wanted to make even in discussing all of this is to say, here's what some of the possible ones are, which we just laid out. And then also to say, this is a cyberpunk themed game. They've done incredible with the mechanics and they've done incredible with developing this IP. And I expect whatever their digital strategy is gonna be, is, is going to be really good. So I just wanted to kind of say, to lay those points out there, look at what's happened, look what they've done with the IP, and say, listen, guys, I think they're going to do a good job with it. Like, I'm no shill for Fantasy Flight. I don't get money for this. You know, if you want to sponsor this podcast, that'd be great. But <laughs> I'm not saying this because, you know, anybody's putting money in my pocket. But I honestly think, look at, you know, what they've done. They licensed strategically. They've made fantastic games. And I think that when they do decide to go into the digital realm, if they decide to um, move over Octagon and make their own um, code gate <laughs> to, for us to, to go into that um, whatever server, you know, like it, 
yeah, this metaphor is falling apart, but you get the point. Like, it's a digital property that we're playing, we're turning cards. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going to do that, like, the, I expect that their digital iteration to be top choice. Yeah, and, and because they're not paying us, I, I can say that uh, I am perhaps a bit more uh, guarded in my optimism than you are. If only because, besides for Magic Online, I've actually played a bunch of online um, card game stuff, a bunch of different ones. I don't want to necessarily throw out too many names and sound like I'm shilling. But uh, I, I've, I understand that it's very difficult to get right. There's a lot of things you have to take in consideration, not just from a UI perspective, like a deck builder. How do you make that streamlined and f nice to you, pleasurable to they use, own card and not game terrible? DB. Yes, that's they've true. Got they've the got the IP export. to pull they've it off. Export. Yeah, yeah. But there's they've also got the IP to pull things like off. matchmaking. How do you make everybody happy with matchmaking? You know, how do you how do you square people who do, who are freaking out about rankings, but they also want to not play against somebody who is going to crush them and not have the game be any fun? You know, I mean, there's there's more to it than let's code all the rules, which in and itself is not. Not trivial. You know, not for nothing, but FFG does uh, distribution algorithms for their packs, for their draft packs, for all this other stuff. Now They're that, not, drafting they, online, you bring up an interesting point. Finish your, finish your sentence first, well, I'm sorry. Ha ha ha. I, listen, I didn't bring that up arbitrarily. <laughs> I've got tricks on my sleeve. The point is, is that they've got, Google buys algorithm companies because algorithms are interesting. If you can make an interesting equation that solves a problem, you just made a digital tool. And I believe that FFG has some of that. They've got IP, they've got smart people, they've got some of those algorithms for doing seeding, for doing card distribution. I don't see it as a big jump for them to tr apply some algorithms or develop some algorithms for seeding or solving those online problems. I don't um, see that are... as something, that, yes, it's tricky, but I don't see well, that as something that they, is out of their I, core competency. You perhaps don't, I, I maybe phrase myself poorly. Um, I don't mean that it's hard to do because there's several different schemes that you can use for, for tracking like ELO or Thilo or whatever you want to track your player rankings are. I mean that when you look online and look into these discussions from the actual player community, there there's no way to make everybody happy. If you track a ranking that makes sure that we're all, you're always going to be put against somebody of a roughly equal skill. Then you have people who say, well, this punishes me for trying out new decks because my ranking is going to drop because they're, you know, oh, they're concerned about that. If you don't use a ranking, then you have people who are saying, but then I'm going to play against somebody who's like, you know, the top tier Orange Devil or Alex Frog or whatever, and he's just going to smoke me and it's not going to be any fun. I want to play against people in my realm. And then you have people who say, well, I only want to play against people with the same card pool that I do. I don't want to play against people who have cards I don't have. I mean... Some of that stuff isn't algorithmically solvable. At some point, you have to pick an approach, and that's going to piss someone off. Agreed. I mean, so, I mean, that's what I was speaking to more in the sense of, not so much in the sense of, man, there's this problem, how are they going to solve it? It's more like there are several solutions, and no solution pleases everyone, so how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's the same problem that they came out with when they decided what format to express their IP in. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Are we going to make this an LCG or a CCG? Da, da, da. Like, that's the same problem. They've got this incredible creative story to tell and the format that they tell the story in. I see it as their core competency. Yeah, they're going to have to hire some programmers, but this is, to me, it's a FFG is a storytelling company. It's an interactive storytelling company, and this is their core competency. And that's why I have, yes, the digital realm for sure, like, as, like, I mean, I work on the net all day. Like, it's, it is certainly has its own unique challenges, but it's so ready to happen. I just have confidence that they're going to do it well. 
I hope they do it well. I don't think they'll do it poorly. But uh, in some ways, um, it is almost, I don't know, it's, it's, it, you want it to be perfect. You don't want it to just be not bad to okay. And, uh, and I know that it takes a lot of resources, money, to, to produce really polished, really great. I mean, there's, there's a reason that Blizzard's games, even when they're not, even when they don't leave everybody wowed, like Diablo 3 was kind of like, oh, it's Diablo. We thought it would be more Diablo-y. But it was still a. We re- thought it was gonna be more diabolical. Yes, exactly. But it was still an insanely polished and great-looking experience, and the UIs were great. I mean, it was, it was, not. There's no no failure at all in those arenas because Blizzard has experience with that and just mints worth of money, their WoW money to go to throw at that, and, um, you know, I, I, I hope that FFG can make that work because I know that they don't have a mint of WoW gold just that they make every minute sitting there to throw at an online thing at some point they're going to have to use what you know they're the very real limitations they have based on being the company that they are to make that product or maybe not maybe they won't even maybe they're like no we don't care about an online thing at all i kind of doubt it though at this point i think it's it's like you like you i think it's becoming more and more of a thing they're they're gonna have to look into at some point just because it's either that or alienate everybody and kill octagon and well you know what not for nothing i don't think that I, I, I want you to make your point about drafting because I said oh yeah, yeah 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 you perked up so I want you to make that point and then we're gonna wrap um, we're gonna go to the to the book and the, the yeah, yeah. act and, and wrap it up but um, real quick I don't think I think that FFG can do it in a way that that works you know and and um, doesn't uh, alienate their user base you know I mean there's probably going to be a contingent of people that just love Octagon so much that they're like you know whatever yeah. FFG does they're just no matter what there's it. always going to be somebody but that's mad you know what okay cool like if you're going to have that attitude of just only you know I understand that like I, I get that you like that system and it works for you I understand that but um, I would I would welcome more entrance to the field I agree as far as that anyway uh, the only thing I was going to say about drafting was that that is an interesting thought there because um, that that's an experience that is still very new. And um, depending how it, they, they may be able to come up with a way that doesn't undercut their, their draft pack uh, sales or their drafting experience there. Like if you put up a Netrunner thing online that um, didn't, there was no deck builder because it was all drafting. And you didn't have to save decks from day to day. And you know, you know how League of Legends does it where like the the champions you can use each day, there are free ones, then they rotate every day or every week. I don't it's been a while, maybe they've changed that up. But it used to be, you know, they have like fifty or sixty champions and they they uh, rotate which ones are free to play as, otherwise you buy the ones that you want. If um if they had like a draft pack system set up online where, you know, they rotated in and out and they, they you didn't care. There was no deck builder because you're just drafting all the time. I, I would buy that. Drafting is really, really cool and a, a unique experience that I can't get right now at the table. And even when I, even when draft packs come out, it's not something I can just like. You got to get everybody together, and they all got to buy draft packs. And you know, it's even more set up or more front loaded than just a game of Netrunner where I come to your house with my cards and we play. So. I don't know if you could... I mean, that would be in a really interesting proposition to try and amalgamate League of Legends approach to the identities. That That's what I'm saying. That would be neat. I get what you're saying, and I'm saying that would be mind-blowing if they could do that. I don't know how that would be done, but... Anyway, 
That's all conjecture. Stuff. IP. Stuff. Yo. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Intellectual property. Buzzwords. All right, so our book, this podcast, is another top flight. I really try and only recommend books that are really at the top, top, top echelon of their respective genres and, and their game. Um, the, the only exception to that would be distraction. Uh, you know, as, as much as that is a really uh, a top flight book, that was a personal choice for me. I really appreciated it. I read it. I liked it a lot. Um, but it wasn't as necessarily a seminal work. It just had a lot of uh, germane tropes to what we talk about. So anyway, this one for this podcast is called Soul of a New Machine. It's by a Pulitzer Prize winning author named Tracy Kidder. This guy wrote it in 81. Kind of talks about um, the development of a 32-bit microcomputer by Data General at a time when management practices were changing and uh, the computer revolution was in full gear in the 70s. Um, so he, just talking about his personal experiences, it's a very prescient, thoughtful, deliberate book. Um, it's, uh, it's frankly admirational of its subject matter. Um, Tracy Kidder's clearly in awe of these guys and, and is kind to them, but also is frank in his, um, in his, uh, treatment of their their just insane work policies and 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 actions so soul of a new machine uh dropped in 81 it's just an incredible incredible novel it's a seminal work i mean you go look it up for yourself on what the ratings are for this book and um you know i think on amazon the ratings are you know four and a half out of five with you know tons of reviews so just a, a really, really good, solid book to um, gain an understanding of um, some of the work that went into uh, the revolution. Viva la revolution, you know what I'm saying? And, and Soul of a New Machine is, is part, of, part of our story and part of our DNA as, as shapers. So, boom. You heard it here first, Broadband Podcast. So I wanted to give an update for the current event. I, I was going to talk a little bit about some recent net neutrality rate um, uh, rulings and, and goings on, but I'm going to switch from net neutrality. We're going to talk about that uh, next podcast. This one, I just want to give an update. Crypto Locker is still out there beast moaning people. So I just want you to be careful. Listen, man, you know, I'm sure that you're very savvy and you're not prone to spear phishing attacks, but this thing is so beast. Like it, it will map drives and just encrypt everything. So unless you're using something like um, something like a stealth offsite backup solution or Carbonite or something like that, this will jack your day up real bad. So just be aware that it's out there and there's new iterations. Every time that you know the the AV software is catching up to it, they are iterating constantly, and this. This paradigm of ransomware is not going anywhere. This is the new normal. So if you hear this podcast, just be aware, this is the new normal. Ransomware is not is not only a Netrunner. This is happening right now on a very real scale. Um, and they are 
uh, diversifying their payment methods. So, um, oh, they're not taking just bitcoins anymore. I don't think they they are opening it up. I think was the last thing I read. Um, but I mean, I mean, CryptoLocker hit a police precinct and they paid. Like Whoa. the cops, what? the cops paid. It was like this small oh, no. police precinct. Yeah. What precedent does they that have? Set? No, they had no other option. Oh it my was, God. Listen, if you get, hit, if you're a healthcare provider oh, and you get no. hit with this, just run the numbers in oh, your head no. on what, I mean, they were making like a million dollars a clip or something at a month or something no. like this. It's oh. crazy. So, oh man. You, yeah, man. Just be aware. Crypto lockers beast mode, man. Just. Anyway, take it as a public service announcement from from Overheard Media Group to the broadband podcast listeners. Trust me, you do not want this. Um, so check that out. Peace. Back your drives up. Yeah, man. Back it up. Back back it up. Yeah, if you back it up, then you can you don't care. format it and yeah. just keep like, go over again. Whatever. But if you don't have a stealth offsite, you know, if you don't have like Carbonite or something like that going, you're... It will get you, bro. It will sneak door beta your ass. Oh, no. All right, Brody, my resident expert. No, don't call me an expert. My friend. No, you do so good. I'm not just, an expert. You're, Brody is TOing Central Server. Ugh. I don't even get to play. I don't get to, I don't get a chance to get my face kicked in by the best players in our meta. Do you know how sad that makes me? Yeah. <laughs> Our guys did really well and, and placed well in um, in Worlds. Brent did well. I talked to him about, you know, he lost. Every game that he lost was like 6-7, to seven and he did he did really Russell well. Russell, too, didn't, didn't he do? I don't know what Russell plays because I didn't talk to him about it. Right. But I, I know that he did well, and I know Brent. Like, two of our guys are just top top flight players. Like, I'm, I will, you know, I'm. Dollars to donuts. Yeah, there, we're money's on those guys. Yeah, yeah. That's, we're counting on them to yeah, win because exactly. we don't want anybody else to come in and take our store championship. You know, we're kind of <laughs> subtly nudging both of them like, guys, you better take A, 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 guys. Yeah. Right, so anyway, team. Brody, the Q&A for today, you wanted to, t- we're going to do. Oh, talk about agendas. Ag- let's talk about yeah. agendas. And uh, as a resident expert, I'm going to take other people's intelligent expertise and pass it on to you, the listener. That's what's happening. There is, there is no... There are a little, very few original thoughts from me here. I wanna, I wanna put that disclaimer out there. Almost none of this data is mine. The only data I did was for the plugged-in tour. This is all someone else's data. I also want to give a fat shout out to Agenda Seven Podcast. They do so great. Those, you know, a lot of I noticed there's a lot of Canadian players, man. There's just a lot of just like who, who it was Agenda Seven. Who else is the um, our corp shop bad Canadian. publicity, bad publicity, bad pub? Those guys. It's so funny watching them play on, you know, online. You know, they'll be drinking. They'll be like, "Hey, we need to stream games." That's what we need to do. Okay, we need to do that. We're gonna do it. We're right, gonna do it at Central Server. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's we're gonna right. be streaming games that's at right. Central Server. Now, I don't. That. You know, we're encouraging everyone that comes to stream there. We're not monopolizing that. I know. You know, we're monopolizing the Q and A with Lucas, of course, but. The we, streaming we of the games. We feed in that tree. That tree is ours. Actually, yes. And and the our our surprise guest um, uh, podcast that we're going to do is with uh, one of the guys from uh, Alex Radgravity from uh, from the Crash Space podcast. He's mm-hmm. going to be retooling and redoing something else, I think. But he's going to be uh, he's going to be there, so he's going to help us out and yeah. do some video there as Looking well. Looking forward to collaborating with him. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I've enjoyed interacting with. Him. 
So agendas. Let's agendas. talk agendas. Let's talk agendas. Okay. Well, uh, so since we've been kind of focusing on some sort of beginnerish things or things that you know a new player might want to hear going into the game. Um, I, I wanted to segue into agendas by talking about something that was occurred to me when I was a new player. It took a little while before I had this breakthrough, and I think I've I've alluded to it in in previous podcasts. But uh, the so when I first start, you you first start the game, and uh, you know you're you're corp, and you feel that stress that you know oh the runner's got his rig, I'm just screwed. There's no way I can score all these agendas, especially with some of the core set agendas like uh, you know Nisei a four two. That's that's hard to score. Um, I think most of the other corps have three twos in the core set, but and then as you get more into the other ones that come out, you know, efficiency committee for HB is a four two, uh, geothermal fracking is a four two, um, character assassination is a four two. I mean, Lucas has basically gone on record and said that we're not going to see any more three twos for a good long while because it would push the game too far towards fast advance. So anyway, uh, you know, it, you you feel like. They're just vulnerabilities for you, that agendas are liabilities. They're how the runner steals them from you, and you need to safeguard them and keep them away from them, and, and you're focused very much on protecting them and, uh, and scoring them, but as an end toward winning the game. And it wasn't until embarrassingly long into the game when I really started to consider agendas as more than just the, the flag to keep away from the runner as, as, yeah. as points you don't want to momentum give builders. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that it took me more longer than I'd care to admit before I started to think of agendas as a tool for a deck. I mean, I sort of did, like, you know, don't put priority acquisition in a deck because if you don't have any big ice, because then it's a waste. But, um, you know, they're, they're uh, like, posted bounty, false lead. Um, so I saw that, that excellent deck list that um, Martin, uh, now I can't think of his last name, it goes by Hoobajou on Board Game Geek. Uh, uh, he's a tournament. He won up some plugged-in tournaments. He's got this whale and deck list he calls Super Modernism, yeah. and uh, it ran like twelve or thirteen agenda cards. Not you know, there's a lot of one pointers in there, and I remember seeing that list and thinking like, holy cow, that's way too many agendas. There's you know, they're gonna hit R and D, and and more than one in five cards is an agenda. Like that's just too much. Um, but he, I, he kicks butt with it. He he rocks yeah. face with it, and it's because a there's a lot of them, so they're readily available. And B, they're good. Yeah. Hostile Takeover is a great agenda. False Lead, like, you know, the ability to, to force the runner to lose half their turn so you can maneuver them into a really compromised position. Um, it's great. So it was that deck list that started me thinking about, um, you know, may, are your agendas working for you? You know, when you build a deck, did you put the right agendas in there? Like, it, it, I'm not even talking about 20 versus 21 points. Uh, I'm talking about the right numbers for you and the right, you know, which ones did you pick. And it's maybe easier to think about which ones did you pick as a new player because, you know, Nisei is almost always good, but Fetal AI, if you're not doing a Jinteki damage deck, you know, if you're doing Replicating Perfection and you're not running a lot of net damagey stuff, that 5-2 that is a kind of a killer and maybe you should be looking at something else. Maybe it's better to put two single-point agendas in there that you can rush out um, than to try and get a 5-2 that you can't score. It's easier to take advantage of scoring windows uh, for, for three ones than it is to, to try and get a 5-2 out uh, in, in Jinteki in general and then Replicating Perfection specifically. Um, so there's that. And then um, the, the idea about composition. This, you know Jeff Hollis? He wrote a really great uh, series of articles on Board Game Geek. First one I, I remember seeing of his was talking about Jinteki and work compression, which... I don't want to get too into here, but it's really good. Check it out. He also ran some numbers 
on agenda distribution, like what your debt composition is and how that interacts with R&D access is needed to win. Like the idea that, um, like if you have uh, seven two-point agendas and, um, or, and then two three-point agendas, that that is statistically riskier than, um, say, two single-point agendas and three, uh, then and six three-point agendas, um, which is they both add up to seven. You know, three three one and two two three, but statistically speaking, um, it is more resilient against R and random R and D accesses to go two single-pointers, and um, six three-pointers than it is to go seven two-pointers and two three-pointers. Like, he just ran this really interesting series of numbers that shows um, how many blind accesses the runner needs to win, like, 10% of the time, 25% of the time. You know, obviously, as they get more and more blind accesses, you're just, you're going to lose. Stop. Get them out of your R&D. What are you doing letting them in there? But, um, you know, it, it, it helps you um, identify, like, in addition to what agendas you want for your deck, it also gives you kind of a rough form factor. Like maybe I should be thinking about upgrading some of these into uh, what's a good five three? Oh, Wayland. Like maybe I should think about putting in some government contracts, because hey, or the cleaners, depending on what my deck's purpose is, because it might be better to to help make my R and D a little less porous. And if you're already running some two pointers that are fours, like uh, like um, geothermal fracking. You know the the scoring window for a four point, uh, or sorry, for a four advancement agenda looks very similar to the scoring window for a, um, a five. And even I mean, even the idea of of tailoring your agendas to your scoring windows maybe was something that didn't occur to me when I first started playing the game. You know that that idea that I just said that uh, that a four point agenda has a similar window to a five point agenda. The, in in terms of the number of turns it has to be out on the table before you can do something with it, barring of course fast advanced tricks or what have you, trick of light, sand sand, whatever. But um, you know, and obviously there's there's more to uh, a dex agenda composition than um, R and D resilience, and obviously even that is affected by what else you're running in the deck because the more cheap trash trashable assets you have or upgrades that you have in your deck, then obviously the the more that that messes with the numbers. But um, just that that idea that that maybe you know your agenda composition could be better improved. Um, you know, if you're going to include a crappy 4-2 that you don't really want to, but yeah, you feel like you have to, that maybe there's a way to look for a function, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a function of a 5-3 and slightly modify your deck to incorporate that and come out with an overall better deck than, you know, just a 4-2 because uh, I, I really don't want to have any three-pointers or anything like that. Check the thing out. It's on the Board Game Geek uh, blog posts. Um, pretty much anything Jeff Hollis has in this blog is really cool, actually. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's my, that's my thoughts on agendas. Well, that's really good. That's, um, you know, looking at, you know, from when you start, first start playing the game of ask, you know, your agendas as, uh, a liability and, uh, you know, and just a, a necessary evil, um, to uh, looking at the density of you know how many do you want to have and how many cards do you have in your deck so running the ratios and then also strategically you know I think I've gotten into trouble occasionally trying to 
um, to decide when I was going to score which agendas. Yeah. Like, early in the game, I want to score this. Da, da, da. And it, you know, sometimes it works out, but it yeah. just honestly doesn't work out that often. I'll to me. score the brain trust before the Keela Hands Arcology. Wait, yeah. no, that was, I really wish I had that now so I could click for credits. Why did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you're like, I got to get that two pointer out. I got to get the two pointer out. It's worth more points. But maybe. It, you know, you're early on in the game enough that it matters more to get the, the Gila hands out so that way you can use its ability through the rest of the game, whereas the Marine Trust, if you're just going to score it, or even a Vitruvius or whatever, if you're going to score something as a blank 3-2, an agenda with a useful ability may actually be better for you, even if it's only a one-pointer. Yeah. Or profiteering, hey, I'd rather take the money than, than not overscore uh, an Atlas. That's yeah. a good idea. And you know what? You, you even made me think about something else, too. Um, the talk about scoring windows made me also consider... That's what um, I'm here for. Bro. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe also consider that um, uh, card draw and you know when to draw is a, is very dependent on your agenda composition too. Like part of the reason that supermodernism deck does so well is because it has enough agendas that it can rush out stuff like hostile takeovers and and you know uh, atlases and stuff. And then once it's done with that, it wants another one in hand right away. It does that remote should not sit empty. It wants to be scoring agendas right now, forcing runs through the archer minefield, threatening a scorch if you make a single misstep. Like, that pressure's not there if that deck isn't racing to slam agendas at the door as fast as they come in, and that means they have to come in pretty fast, too, so you want that loose flood of agendas. Whereas other decks are going to, you know, they, they want to, the runner to make big, long, horrendously expensive runs, um, so maybe they don't, maybe they, they have fewer, their agendas are fewer and further between, but they threaten them, you know, they... Uh, they use assets like a never advanced style masquerade, or they use advanceable things or traps to to bait a run through through a gauntlet in order to drain the runner of credits. So, anyway, obviously a deck is more than just do I include all two point agendas or do I include some three points? But uh, you know, there's the holistic thing to take into account. But it's something that occurred to me that I thought might be helpful for people getting into the game to think about when they start designing their own decks. So Yeah, so the three points in looking at agenda distribution is uh, density, uh, what abilities they give you, and then what's the third, what would be? Scoring the windows, I would say. Well, when are you going to score them, right? Because there's, the ability doesn't do any good unless you can score it. Yeah. And that density plays into that, too, because you don't want them stealing all your good stuff, but... Um, I don't want them stealing any, any of my stuff. stuff. Get out. Let's get off my lawn. All right, well, this has been another fantastic podcast. Uh, we so appreciate you guys. Like I said, you can email me, Gregory James or Brody at Overheard Media Group. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys um, and uh, just hear your thoughts and questions, anything that you have, suggestions. You want to tell us that we suck. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just save that for bad publicity save that bad publicity you know what I'm saying but uh, we'd love to hear seriously we would love to hear from you is that yeah. that is one of your tokens that yeah. was on my floor um, this. that's awesome this makes me you have no idea how happy this makes me that's fantastic Brody just found one of his my like, acrylic Blanco. credit tokens oh no no these are from the regionals man these oh regional ah very nice yes yeah. okay so um anyway Back to wrapping it up. Yeah. Uh, I'm Gregory James. I am Brody Benson. And this is the Broadband Podcast. Are you listening?